Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman, who is hitting the road this week to, of all places, Columbus, Ohio, for Ohio State, Maryland. Bruce, anything going on in Columbus these days? Yeah, yeah. It's. Um... Will you be visiting the Pint House? Will you be, will you be retracing the, se- the scene of the, of, of the biggest story in sports right now? Not unless we have our, our production dinner there. No, I don't know if we will this time. No. Um, but let's get to that, Stu. I know we talked about it for a second in passing on Sunday morning, but a lot more has come out about what's going on with Urban Meyer and, and the Jaguars. Um, obviously, this is a college football podcast. As our audience knows, they are well-versed in Urban Meyer because of his college career. Um, and also I worked with him last year or the last couple of years at Fox, but especially last year. So, you know, like he's still a name that we can't, we can't shake him. You can't shake him. Also. It's like, I just did a story about all the different hot seats and the temperature checks around the country and urban was won three national titles and baggage aside his name could be linked to some of these bigger openings and uh, on not long, uh, probably an hour ago, maybe uh, Brett McMurphy uh, who has reported on urban extensively in the past had kind of an interesting survey he did with ADs. Why don't you kind of, if our audience hasn't seen it, why don't you explain some of the Intel he gathered? So in the, in the wake of this fiasco in Jacksonville on top of the, Zach Smith fiasco and and some other fiascos over the course of Urban's career. He asked um, 65 of the 130 FBS ADs if they needed a coach in 2022, would they consider hiring Urban Meyer? 73% of college ADs said no. Uh, One said not in a million years, one power five AD. However, the percentage is a little bit different. Group of five ADs more willing to hire Meyer, 39%. Then Power 580s, 15%. And so I think it's fascinating because for two years, ever since the Ohio State tenure ended, nobody believed he would not go back into coaching. And he became like this great white whale for first for USC fans and then for Texas fans. And I think a lot of people fit, you know, were already before all this, assuming his time in Jacksonville might be limited to one season once he realized that maybe he's not fit for the NFL. And then of course you, a lot of people assume he will end up back in college. I think that at some point for all that, for the national titles, for all the, you know, tremendous success as a college coach, there has to be a line where the baggage outweighs the on-field success. And, and the idea of being this guy's boss, I mean, Gene Smith, his AD at Ohio state got suspended at one point. Uh, having gotten caught up in, in, you know, and, and, and in the mismanagement of Zach Smith. You know what, I, I, Stu, honestly, I remember urban Meyer getting suspended for three games. I forgot Gene Smith, who a lot of people would say he's kind of the godfather of, of there's so many proteges he has who are now ADs 
and is one of the most well-regarded ADs in college athletics. I actually forgot he got suspended. He did uh, because they failed to vet, you know, Urban never told Gene Smith that about Zach Smith's uh, 2009 uh, domestic violence situation at Florida. So um, basically they held Gene Smith at least partially accountable for the fact that this guy kept coming back to the staff despite all of his issues. Um, now the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars who went way out on a limb and hired this guy with no NFL experience uh, has to put out a, you know, a, a terse statement this week about his actions in, in Ohio were unacceptable to me. We, we considered talking about this story on Sunday when the videos had first come out and we ultimately decided that, you know, he's an NFL story now and at that point it was just kind of like a social media sensation it escalated after that press conference monday when just like in 2018 he got up in front of a room of reporters and just lied about everything pretty much uh he 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 lied about um i mean dinner with the grandkids that got debunked pretty quickly just from his wife's own social media trail and this ohio state booster who uh, tweeted out a picture of them. I was so happy he came to our birthday party. Um, he said he went up and told, you know, apologized to the team. It comes out. He didn't actually have a, he canceled the team meeting, uh, apologized to them in small groups. So the quote, it was, the, like it, was, it was, it was, you know, I should never have, they wanted to take pictures with me and dancing, you know, because initially in the video, you see this woman grinding on him. Um, and it was like, she got too close to his lap. He didn't quite say it like that. But then as soon as the press conference ends, somebody else reveals kind of a, a different video angle where you can see his hand looks like basically goes up her butt. Um, and I think that, you know, the way some of the stories were written, news stories were written. I remember the ESPN.com one in particular was like, kind of talked about, him putting himself in harm's way or letting himself be near harm's way when it looked like he was a more willing participant in that than he was leading on. I think, and again, you know, this is all, beauty is in the eye of the beholder of this, you know, in terms of how bad this actually is in terms of, I think for a lot of people who are well-versed in how the NFL works, one of the two most troubling things for Urban were one, head coaches don't you're not going on a recruiting trip back somewhere else after the game. Head coaches come back on the flight with their team. Um, and then the second part was you're the head coach of an 0-4 team. You look like you were just hanging out and having a good time on a, on a Friday or Saturday night when maybe you should have been trying to find out how do we win a football game and that kind of thing, as opposed to like, I don't know how many people in the NFL would say if they found out, and this is, this is where I think it's awkward for, for anybody to talk about. And certainly us included is, you know, mar his marriage, even if they're public figures is still, you his know, how, yeah, it's his business. Right. And even the, you know, the grinding and the hand up the, like, if that woman involved, if she, you know, if, unless she takes really issue with it, I think that's a separate issue unto itself. I think the challenge for this is, I think for a lot of people in the media are looking at going, man, and, and our colleague Andy Staples, I thought wrote a really interesting story about urban because it didn't happen in a vacuum. 
as you mentioned, Zach Smith stuff, even the Chris Doyle hire, which oh, kind yeah. of references, you know, they worked together and knew him at Utah when the timeline's not even close. Like Chris Doyle was already gone at Iowa for like seven or eight years before Urban even showed up in Salt Lake. So I think there's a there's parts of that where it's like if he had just you look at the pictures and it even the just the the headshot of him you look like he's obviously been drinking which there's nothing wrong with that um, if he had said yeah I went out I went out with some friends I pr- I had too much to drink and you know like he ended up going into like more detail that I think does actually hurts his cause when other video comes up and it's not the first time that's happened where I think if you take it, you know, not at face value, but if you take it this way, the guy's won three national titles. He is one of the most successful college football coaches of his generation. There's no doubt about that. I think that the, what comes with it is there's a lot of stuff that people have seen as it's a ton of drama. There's also, you know, it's not hard for people to find this and go, this is very sanctimonious and you can talk about culture and all these things, but some of this other stuff is completely at odds with it. You know, getting to Brett's, uh, Brett McMurphy's survey, I don't doubt, like, first of all, I would, I would kind of take, I, he's not going to take a group of five job. I don't even know if he's taking any college job if, it do, if he ends up leaving Jacksonville. But, you know, he's not going to, if Freeze leaves Liberty and that job comes open, I don't, Urban Meyer's not going to Lynchburg, I don't think. But, I'm not surprised that a bunch of ADs would go, yeah, he wins football games. And at the end of the day, that's what our fans care about, you know, and, you know, like the biggest job that's out there right now is USC. Um, He, from what I heard, the president of USC at the time, Carol Fold, this is a couple of years ago, did not want anything, did not want to touch Urban Meyer because of his baggage then. Now that was, you know, two or three years ago you know, is USC in a different place because they've had their own scandal ridden past. My guess is she probably wouldn't want to hire him now. If LSU came open with Scott Woodward, who's who likes big name hires, I get it. They've had sorted title nine mess, you know, for a long time there. I don't know what the optics on that, but it's LSU. I mean, would they try to make that hire? Would Urban even want to go back in the SEC? Miami? Miami, Miami can't afford Urban Meyer. Hey, you just hit on one of the mailbag questions we're getting to in a little bit. Uh, we'll save that. Um, at the end of the day, all it takes is one, right? Louisville was the only school in America that was going to hire Bobby Petrino uh, after the Arkansas motorcycle accident. It had took a, an AD, Tom Jurich, who had his own questionable ethics. So all it would take is one. Uh, but what I would say is, you know, College, even more than the NFL, you, you once you hand the keys to that coach, he, there's an expectation from the coach that he's going to have full autonomy. He's going to get to hire who he wants. Especially this coach. Yeah. And so I would think if you're the AD, you got to trust him. you got to be able to trust your coach. And, and now he has this long track record of giving you no reason to believe you can trust him. Um, and, 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 and to expect like, okay, well, this happened at Ohio State, this happened in Jack, but, but it'll be fine with us. Like, we'll make sure he, he's assured. He looked us in the eyes and he, assured, you know, you could just see that press conference, right? He assured us that, you know, he's going to act with integrity and da, 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 da. I mean, I think you, you hit on it earlier. His whole MO, his whole, I mean, I remember Pete Thamel did an interview with him before the season in Jacksonville. 
where he flat out said, like, I'm here to build a winning culture. He's not the X's and O's guy. Obviously, there's no recruiting in the NFL. His whole he's I'm, I've been hired to to build a winning culture here. And what happened in, in, in that bar did not help them build a winning culture. It, it really, by all accounts, by all these anonymous players and that are being quoted, he completely wrecked his credibility. He already had shaky credibility with his players and, and he completely wrecked it here. So why what, you would expect that to go differently at the next job? I don't know. What, what I think is more problematic from, from I had a coach call me on Tuesday who made the point, which I hadn't really thought of much, which was, what is going to happen when one of his players gets in trouble in the next two weeks? And it's going to happen. Like, how do you discipline that player if you just had this episode? And I don't know the answer to that. And I'll, I'll be honest, like neither one of us is, is well-versed enough in today's NFL, you know, like how that part of it works. Um, you know, like I think, you know, in itself, the video, like, like we said, talked about in itself, the video of him at the bar, like nobody has an issue. I don't think like with him being drunk in public or looking like he's, you know, had a bunch, you know, been overserved or hanging out or having a good time. You know, again, that's between, um, you know, that's between he and his family and, and this other person. I think the, the, to me, the part where I feel like he's either, and he's a grown man. The part is when he gets into the podium, up to the podium and he explains this stuff and he looks shamed and he looks pained. And I, I, I that part, I think is it, that part, I think is sincere. It's the part when it's just like the explanations, you know, just they get parsed. And I think whether somebody's advising him or not, and who are he's not listening to it, it's just like, man, um, you know, I'm reminded of something that like was an old ESPN thing when they screwed it up. And I remember, you know, being told when, you know, you're in trouble like that, say less, not more. And, yeah. you know, that it's kind of like it, it made it worse, I think. And again, I think how much how bad you think it is, I think depends on how much, you know, on what you thought of Urban Meyer before this. Yeah, I did. Nothing happens in a vacuum. If he was scandal free and that happens, it probably gets mostly brushed over. But a lot of people already had strong opinions about him uh, going back to Florida. And, and this just becomes more fodder. I'll say this. If if, you know, if the if it had been, uh, you know, I know I don't know the NFL culture, uh, you know, this this idea that he's expected to come back with the team like I'm, I'm not familiar with that. But I know this. If it had been Trevor Lawrence in that bar first take would have spent an hour or two on Monday about Trevor Lawrence isn't ready for the NFL. Trevor Lawrence doesn't take football seriously enough. His team's Owen Ford. He's out partying. Um, so if you expect that as a player, I think it's fair to expect that of the head coach. So you get, it's, let's button this up here in terms of the expectation. I don't think he's going to, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think anybody who tries to predict what urban Myers mindset's going to be like two months from now is kidding themselves because he's just wildly unpredictable in how he, you know, he thinks one thing like the best example is that was his, his retirement reversal at Florida yeah. it was 12 years ago, but there's like other signs of it where it's like, he feels a certain way. And then like two days later, it's like a, it's a completely After different. After he place. stepped down at Ohio state, he told anybody who would listen, he was done coaching and nobody believed it. And now he is coaching. Yeah. So if his name is up, let's say, let's say he does end up, 
not being the head coach of the Jaguars come Thanksgiving ish or whatever. Um, do you, would, how surprised would you be if he got a power five head coaching job in 2022? Yeah. Um, I would be, I, I would be surprised, but I don't know if it would be because I'm surprised the school took a chance on him. Cause as we just said, like people, get I wouldn't very, be surprised if they took a chance on him. Yeah. I think it'd be more, I'd be surprised if he went back to that so quickly. Like I, the, there's somebody on Twitter tweeted this to me. I was like, Oh, this sounds like a completely plausible scenario. Greg Shiano hires him as an analyst at Rutgers next year. And he spends a year kind of off the, off the grid, just being around football, but not, not, you know, on, in the spotlight. Yeah, I don't know about the Greg Schiano part of him doing that or, or not doing that. I think the one thing that to me would be hard for him is the guy has up till last week had never had more than a three-game losing streak as a head coach. And if he, you know, like, do you end on a one-in-nine run in the NFL where you've been mocked and kind of like I don't say humiliated, but it's kind of like where that feels like it is now. Like, is that getting that bad taste out of your mouth? I mean, does he like, how does that sit with him? I have no idea, you know, cause he knows he can win football games. It's just like, are there challenges left? I know one of the things that bothered him and not, not directly related to the Texas opening, but was the shifting power structure in college football with NIL coming. Yeah. I think that alarmed him. Well, then he went to the NFL where the power structure is already way different and we're seeing how that's playing out. So I don't know. It's, we, yeah, it, it's going to be a fast, it's, it won't be boring no matter what, where no. the story goes. I don't, I'll just say, I don't see him being the coach of a high pro, like of an LSU or USC, but never say never. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Chronic migraine is 15 or more headache days a month, each lasting four hours or more. Botox onabotulinum toxin A prevents headaches in adults with chronic migraine. It's not for adults with migraine with 14 or fewer headache days a month. It prevents on average eight to nine headache days a month versus six to seven for placebo. 
Prescription Botox is injected by your doctor. Effects of Botox may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness can be signs of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Side effects may include allergic reactions, neck and injection site pain, fatigue, and headache. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Don't receive Botox if there's a skin infection. Tell your doctor your medical history, muscle or nerve conditions, including ALS Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome, and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. Ask your doctor and visit BotoxChronicMigraine.com or call 1-800-44-BOTOX to learn more. Hey, we've got a couple of really big college games this week to get to. Uh, first of all, a top five showdown in Iowa City, Penn State, number four Penn State at number three Iowa, which uh, Ralph Russo from the AP tweeted, and I think this is just a, a just a staggering stat. This is the this is the first um, top five Big Ten game not involving either Ohio State or Michigan since 1962. Wow, that is a really bizarre. That's a kind of a I wouldn't have thought that, but it's crazy stat. But you know, those two ruled that conference for decades, and. Um, and, and, you know, when Penn State joined the conference in the early 90s, you kind of expected them to be that kind of program, too. But they went through some pretty long uh, stretches of mediocrity. So um, I don't know who to pick in this game. I mean, I was playing great. So is Penn State. They both have, you know, really, really good defenses. Um, I think in these kind of toss up situations, I just tend to lean to the home team. But it wouldn't surprise me either way. Yeah, I think this is. Um... You know, like after last week, I think the way people are looking at the Iowa defense is how well they're playing. Um, you know, this is a good test for Sean Clifford because he's definitely seems like he's much improved in the third coordinator in three years and the third system. He's got Jahan Dotson. He's got some weapons. Um, you know, like I can't wait to see how this is going to play out just because I think for a lot of people, we think both teams are pretty good. If somebody wins there by, let's say, more than a touchdown, would you like how seriously would you take them as a as a team that, OK, you know, like I'm going to be at Ohio State right before this. They're going to play a Maryland team that is licking its wounds after mm-hmm. last week. I still feel like even as bad as the Ohio State defense has played, people automatically default to Ohio State's still going to come out. of. Yeah, that. I think that's the interesting thing is that. As mortal as Ohio State looked early on. And as well, you know, Penn State's gotten these big wins. Iowa's gotten these big wins. Michigan State's played very well. Michigan is undefeated. And I do get the sense that most people think in the end it'll still be Ohio State. Um, you? You know, I made a mistake this the last couple of weeks. I've been doing these New Year's Six projections, and I put Penn State in them as the Big Ten champ because I do think they are they could be the best team in the Big Ten East. What I didn't stop to consider is they're the only one that has to play Iowa. Um, you know, these, these crossover games are pretty random and in the way the West division is shaking out this year, I was the, by far the team you don't want to have to play. So if they lose this game and play them there, yeah, if they lose this game, which was, would not be a bad loss by any means. Now you got probably got to go undefeated in, in the rest of the way. And the, if to make the playoff and the East, especially because Ohio state's one loss at this point came to a conference team. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I don't think Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State are going to, nobody's getting out of that undefeated, I don't think, you know, in, in, in terms of playing each other. Like that's, 
that's a tall ask. So Penn State really to make the I mean, they can still win the Big Ten, lose this game and, you know, beat up, beat the right teams and win the division. But to make the playoff, they probably need to win this game. Uh, probably, probably so. Although, yeah, I mean, I think we, talk, we touched on the one loss Big Ten champ versus a undefeated Cincinnati scenario i think we just have to realistically you just got to see how it plays out i think a one loss big 10 champ will get in because they'll have played several to do that you will have beaten several top 25 even top 10 teams the question is if penn state loses can they turn around and beat all of ohio state michigan michigan state some other you know notable teams as well i don't know red river um oklahoma is ranked Number six, Texas is ranked number 21, but the spread in this game is only three and a half. Um, are you of the, you, you, you're, well, you said on your couple weeks ago, you think Oklahoma's offense is going to get its act together and start putting up 45, 50 points on people. Spencer Rattler definitely played better last week against Kansas state. What do you expect from them against Texas? I think this game will be a shootout. No pun intended. Um, I really like to me, Bijan Robinson is one of the best five best football players in, in college football right now, I think. And it wouldn't shock me if he came out of this game, maybe as the Heisman front runner or right there with Bryce young. I think he's pretty close anyway. Um, you know, like I do, I stand by what I said. I think Oklahoma's offense is going to really start get going. Now, having said that they didn't even have 400 yards last week on the road. They closed. I think it was 392. But at K-State, they ran the ball a little better, but not great. Um, you know, I, I still think this is – they're going to get there. Um, to me, I think this ends up being one of those – similar to probably their game last week, you know, where it's 38-35, 42-38 kind of game. Um, I'm going to lean towards Oklahoma just because I think they have more big game experience. And I honestly, I have a little more confidence in their defense at this point. I think some of it is just because I saw that that Arkansas game, and it's hard to kind of unsee it with Texas. Right. So that's it for I me. I love it. I love it because it's a rare moment where we we are seeing a game completely opposite. Uh, I don't see a shootout because I don't think Oklahoma's offense has shown any ability to be a shootout kind of offense yet. Um but they've got a really good defense. So I also don't see Texas putting up huge points on them. Um, I've got Texas 26, 21. Um, I think uh, the Arkansas, I mean, I think people's opinions about Texas are entirely about what do you make of that Arkansas game four weeks later? If you think that that showed that Texas is not very good and nothing since then has changed your opinion, then you're going to pick OU in this game. I happen to think that they've corrected a lot of the things that went wrong. I wouldn't even say they've corrected it. I think that that game was just a perfect storm. We've talked about it on here before. Of That was the biggest game in Fayetteville in years. Texas was coming off an opener against a ranked Louisiana team. I think they ran into a buzzsaw. And it's since then, they've looked a lot better. And B. John Robinson, like you said, he was my uh, number one on my Heisman uh, strop hole ballot this week. I don't know if they've looked a lot better on defense, though. I mean, they gave up over 500 yards to Texas Tech at home two weeks ago. I, I'm not sure. Like, 
I think they've been better. They've been sharper on offense. I don't think they've looked that much better on defense. Right. Almost eight yards of play to, to, to Texas Tech. And I think Oklahoma, you can say the Oklahoma offense is sputtered. It's still better than what the Red Raiders have. To me, that's why I think it's, I think it's a more high-scoring game what they're getting into. You may be right. I do think Texas is more of a, if you will, traditional Big 12 team that is going to have to outscore people for the most part. But I just don't have any faith in Oklahoma's offense to take advantage. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe they'll break out at some point, maybe, uh, and maybe it's this week. Um, maybe like how Nebraska all of a sudden woke up last week and, and could run for 400 something yards, but, um, it's a good one. Both of those games wouldn't be surprised either way. And, uh, looking forward to them. eBay motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. You can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, led headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. What do you say we get to the mailbag? All right, let's do it. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. The common theme, by the way, people have a lot of coaching carousel questions for us. Yes. All right. Let's start with Mark in Plymouth, Michigan. Guys, just how fickle is the college football coaching market? Last week, Mario Cristobal was being all but being knighted. It seems he was the consensus top target for the USC job. And Lane Kiffin was beginning to pick up steam for a shot at a return trip to lead the Trojans. But both took a big face plant this weekend. Oregon losing to an inferior opponent. And Kiffin barely got his headset on before Ole Miss had cleat marks on their backs. Ouch. Uh, I suspect that the media at large will move down the list and anoint other candidates as the top guys for the USC job. How does this actually affect their prospects? Good question, Mark. I think people, it's kind of like with the playoff too. People get very caught up in the moment. Like Oregon's done now. They lost to Stanford by, by, you know, on the, in overtime on the road without their OC, they're done. We don't know that. Let's see how, where they end up at the end. And I think, you know, if Mario Cristobal leads Oregon to the Pac-12 title, uh, whether or not he beats Stanford in week four or five is going to be pretty irrelevant. If Lane Kiffin, who took over a, a, a program in, that had been mediocre for many years, goes 10 and two, but one of the losses was to Alabama, there's not going to be much shame in that. I don't know if either of those guys is going to be a target for the USC job or wanted to take, I mean, Lane would take the USC job. Let's be honest. I just don't know if they they'd go that route. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I don't have a top, who is the top target for the USC job. I don't, I don't think where that remains to be seen, but no, I don't think, uh, I don't think last weekend's results um, change much. If, if it's more of a, what we think is happening at Texas A&M where Jimbo Fisher might end up going seven and five this year, you know, then let's talk about their changing 
job prospects? I do think it, it, it changed a little in this round. First of all, I think there are two different scenarios here. Mario Cristobal has won a Rose Bowl. He's won Pac-12 championships. Lane Kiffin, um, he's, I think he's, he's definitely a more uh, mature coach and more fully formed than he was certainly when he was at Tennessee and USC. But Lane Kiffin is four and six in the SEC since he's been at Ole Miss. Like, I get it. If he goes 10 and two or 11 and one, his stock will rise. I think people are kind of put the cart before the horse on this quite a bit. Um, You know, we'll see. I mean, last year, you know, as bad as LSU was, they actually beat Ole Miss and they were uh, Ole Miss was four and five in the SEC. So I, I think part of what, you know, what, um, Mark is, is talking about was they got blown out last week. It's no shame to lose to Alabama, but I think people are expecting now for all of a sudden Ole Miss to just kind of take off. And yes, I think they're improved, but I think that there's some presumptions going on there. I don't think the USC talk, like if USC had made that move uh, or is going to make that move, I would be really surprised just because living out here, there was drama constantly when Lane was the head coach at USC. I just don't see them saying, yeah, we're going to sign up for that. I mean, in fact, USC's problem of the last decade or so or more is that they can't stop trying to replicate the Pete Carroll era, right? One coach after another. So I don't think Mike Bone, who came in, who doesn't, who unlike Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan is not a USC guy through and through, uh, wants anything to do with that. I think they want to turn the page. Yeah. Um, so we'll see on that front. Next up, still. Yeah. Ben Neal, this one is, is directed toward you. Um, love the pod. When it, And this is you kind of alluded to this very early on when we were talking urban, whenever Miami is considering a coaching change, the common theme of quote, I'm not sure they can fire him or well, I don't think they can afford this guy comes up in a way. It doesn't seem to come up for other blue blood schools, private or not. And Bruce often talks about how important Mark Rick's fundraising was to that program. Is there a reason Miami always seems to be cash strapped more cash strapped than the USC's Notre Dame's of the world. There's a rich football history, a large prosperous Metro area and a boisterous, football alumni base that you would think finding money would be easier. I'm going to take it from there. Yeah. So I think the, the distinction is Miami is more new money. Like, yes, there are some prominent football alums, but unless the rock himself decides I want to spend a lot of money to be a heavy, to be a very big influencer on the, the direction of the program, you know, there's an Edger and James room at, at UM. Like some of those have donated money, but it's not like they're donating 15 or $20 million to say, hey, I think we're done with Manny Diaz. Let's go pay Mario's buyout and bring him home. That just hasn't been the way Miami's operated. And they didn't like, think about it this way. Miami had that scandal um, you know, that the Charles Robbins from Yahoo had reported on uh, related to Nevin Shapiro. Nevin Shapiro wasn't a alum of Miami. He was a booster, but it was kind of like, that's how desperate Miami was at the time. You remember those pictures of Donna Shalala? Oh, yes. Being the infamous picture. With them. It's like, you know, certain schools have lots of boosters. Some have very few who are prominent. And I just think that that is more of Miami's reality. 
Now they've upgraded a lot of facilities back when they were the top college football program in the country 20 years ago, the facilities were really, really, um, underwhelming. And there's a lot of times they, the coaches there would be like, we want kids who, who don't get sucked up by like all this, all this other stuff and the cushy weight room and all this, you know, cushy facilities, but that's some of that has changed. And the economics of it from my reporting is they would, if they are going to move on from Manny Diaz and by the way, some of the assistants have multi-year deals, it's going to be like a $20 million investment just for, for the 2022 season to make that kind of change. I'm not saying they won't do it, but it, it will not be very easy for them to do. The other things I would say are, you know, Alabama, the, the kind of programs he's talking about play in front of 80, 90, 100,000 seat packed stadiums every week, uh, which is reflective of, you know, money pouring in Miami, as we know, unless it's a really, really big game is playing in front of a half empty uh, Miami Dolphins stadium. So that doesn't help with the finances. And then Miami's in the ACC. Uh, it's not like the ACC doesn't make money. They do, but not to the level of the Big Ten or the SEC. So, I mean, these Big Ten schools can't, some of them can't even, you know, Purdue's paying Jeff Brom $5 million. Like even Purdue seemingly has more money than they know what to do with. I don't think, I don't know that anybody in the ACC is quite like that other than maybe UNC. Um, I think that's a pretty well-funded athletic department. Duke basketball, obviously. Well, Clemson's but, paying a fortune to Dabo Sweeney, and they have uh, they have time. Yeah, Clemson, I think, is a... Look at what they're paying their assistants. Cle- well, Clemson is like a SEC program in the ACC. <laughs> they always have been. They've got IPTE, which is the original, like, uh, you know, booster program. So, um, like, I don't think it really, frankly, affects Clemson's budget all that much if the ACC makes X in television money in a given year. They've just got such a rabid look at Florida state. I feel like they're in the same boat, like for them to be able to uh, pay all that money uh, to, to buy out Willie Taggart was a big deal. Um, they, they too are often not quite to Miami's extent, but dealing with um, not selling enough tickets uh, and, and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, I, I think, I don't know if Manny Diaz continues to lose. I don't know how they bring him back next year, but what you just said about how much it would cost to do that is pretty daunting. Um, Bruce, do you deem you in your, and you did that story on the athletic this week, checking the temperature of various hot seat coaches. This is from David Eisen. Bruce, you deem chip Kelly seat to be quote, kind of warm just a few weeks after he was the toast of college football with the win over LSU. Now in his fourth season at UCLA chip is 16 and 25 and 12 and 17 in conference. At most major schools, his seat would be burning. Does the mild temperature reflect relatively low expectations and interest in UCLA football, Chip's stellar career at Oregon, or something else? I think it. I think it reflects what you what David has said. I think it reflects the um, relative low interest of UCLA football. I think it reflects Chip Kelly's um, resume from what he did at Oregon because they give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I think. You know, people around here and being around UCLA and in Los Angeles have kind of seen things where like, okay, they are getting better. They are on the right track to turning it. Now, I think there's been, I think in this case, it's been three steps forward, one step back, right? You look at it. I, I thought losing to Fresno was 
Fresno was pretty good. I don't think there's shame in that. And then they turned around and won at Stanford by double digits. Last weekend, getting thumped by Arizona State at home, that was a tough one for them. I don't think that yeah. immediately puts him on like in serious jeopardy. But one of the reasons why his seat is probably you know a little warmer is the the AD who hired him is not in charge, and the AD who's there now, Martin Jarmond. Um, you know, he made a really good hire of Jeff Halfley when he was at the AD at BC. ADs like to hire their own guy. They like to, and I'm not saying Martin Jarman is trying to, you know, pull the plug on Chip Kelly necessarily, but I think like a lot of these guys who are on that temperature check story I did, you know, there's going to be a stretch of, when you look at what UCLA has coming up, they, I think, should should likely be like around eight and four, right? You look at it at Arizona, I think they're going to, thump them. Then they have a at Washington who's really struggling. And quite honestly, they've got some issues there. Then they play Oregon at home. That is the toughest game they got at Utah. Colorado has been terrible at USC. And then, and then Cal who's also been bad. So I would say looking at that stretch, there's probably one game where there'll be an underdog or should be at this point, And that's Oregon. After that, it's like, um, you know, I'd be surprised if they're worse than seven and five. And I think for people around UCLA, I think that shows that they're on the right track. It's, but I think it would still be disappointing considering how the year started with you blow out Hawaii and then you beat uh, LSU. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's not quite as good as we were hoping, especially with the Pac 12 being in such a malaise as it is. I feel like the expectations are a little bit lower than they once were there. And so if he could just get to like eight and four, I, I think it's business as usual and you move on. Um, I, I, and they are much improved. So I, the, you know, the, the concern coming into this season was UCLA hadn't done anything uh, in his first three seasons. Now you do see a, a, a very, um, a very competent team, but one that, yeah, definitely had a bad loss the other day. I'll be interested to see, you know, frankly, I was surprised to see that from ASU. Like that was a much better looking ASU team than we saw a couple of weeks earlier against BYU. And, and they kind of take the mantle now away from UCLA as like the team to beat in the Pac-12 South. So um, I was actually honestly a little surprised that you even, like, it's funny, David saying, hey, why didn't you have it as like scorching hot? I was actually surprised you listed it as kind of warm. I'd kind of stopped thinking of him as being on the hot seat, but I suppose that, you know, if things really went South from here, this season, then certainly that would come back up. Yeah. Look, I mean, I had Jim Harbaugh. I put, I put Jim Harbaugh's status on there. I don't think Jim Harbaugh is getting fired. I honestly don't think. Uh, think about that statement, like coming into the season, at least I, and I think most people thought that was a foregone conclusion, like last year's um, pay cut and whatnot was just kind of like a one-year reprieve, but you're right. I mean, they're in the top 10 right now. Yeah. I I think we do. And I think fans do it. And I think we do it in the media is in our head, we kind of map out what this is going to look like. Oh, this person's going to be fired for sure. Cause they're going to get that way. And, you know, maybe there, you know, there's definitely times where it works, but a lot of times it's like, I don't know. A lot of times it doesn't play out this way. You know, I actually think what Harbaugh is doing and getting off the mat and, and coming back strong after when they looked so bad last year is pretty rare. 
I feel like usually once a guy is pretty deep into the hot seat, there's no digging out of it. Um, occasionally there's, there's exceptions to that, but like, I mean, nobody ever thought Clay Helton was going to like come out this year and, and have some sort of magical turnaround, right? Like generally speaking, once you've lost confidence in the guy, um, I mean, shoot, Ed Ogeron won a national title and he still hasn't been able to shake the think about shake this, the lack of confidence. But people were putting him on the really hot seat two years before he won the national title. Right. You know, so it it's like, almost like as soon as they, they drop back off, he's back on it. Yeah, but it's like it, there's that side of it where, oh, he got blown out by Mississippi State and then he got beat by Troy. He doesn't, you know, he can't do this. And then it's like people, you know, think it's going to implode. And that he's he's on the hottest seat in the country, and then he ends up winning a national title. Like I think sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we're right, but sometimes we're just misread the situation. I think, and just you know, again, like I I think whether it's Harbaugh, um, you know, this like, and I'm not saying Scott Frost has saved his job, but like after the opener against Illinois, and you and I looked at the schedule. I mean, it's a new AD. Um, it definitely didn't, it definitely didn't look promising and it wasn't like he's winning games. It was almost like we're, we're saying, all right, well, he was really competitive and should have probably won against Michigan state and was very competitive against Oklahoma. So it's starting to turn, you know, it's like, it's a weird thing with this momentum and stuff. And, and, um, I don't know, it's hard to predict how some of these things are going to play out when you're talking about 18, 19, 20 year olds. We've got a wrap, but that Nebraska Michigan game this week is sneaky big for both those coaches because. Nebraska is getting better there. This, this, all the stats show it. And then they obviously had this huge performance last week, but if they lose, they're three and four with, with Ohio state and Iowa still to come. And as much as we just sung Jim Harbaugh's praises and said, he's safe, you know, oh, he you're going to Nebraska lives. If he loses this game, no, not necessarily. I'm just worried because he's still got Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan state to come. So um, you're not worried. You're licking your chops at this. I don't root against people as much as the, fans think that I do, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I, as I say, like, hope, you know, hope he proves me wrong as always, send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.